Months ago, there was that story that made international headlines. The teacher that was shot by the six-year-old student. And it was another one of these stories just incomprehensible to me how it was that apparently, according to the lawsuit that the the shot teacher is filing, uh, that everyone knew the kid had a gun. Several people uh, had gone to some an administrator or administrators, whether it was the same one or different ones, but somehow they just couldn't find it. None of it made sense to me. It's just odd. A Virginia mother is facing legal consequences after his six-year-old son was said to have been caught with a handgun at an elementary school. Norfolk police arrested Letty Lopez, 35, Friday after an investigation determined her son took the gun to Little Creek Elementary School on Thursday. Police responded to the school uh, February 16th for the report of a student having a weapon in the school. When officers arrived, school administrators turned over the handgun to them. No injuries were reported during the incident. Here's another one. Missouri teacher finds loaded gun in five-year-old's bag. According to reports, an elementary school teacher in Missouri found a loaded gun in a five-year-old's bag on Friday, according to local reports. Is this like something that happens all the time, but it's all of the sudden getting attention? Does it not seem like crazy to you that five- and six-year-olds are just coming to yeah. school with loaded guns? Yeah, I feel like there's been a lot more stories here recently. I remember the summer of 2001. Why I don't? There were two things going on that summer. Uh, Gary Condit was a, a, a congressman whose intern, Chandra Levy, uh, was found. Well, she had disappeared. And it, you know, there were a lot of rumors about them having an affair and so forth. And, and they went all through the park, couldn't find her. And then her family hired a private investigator and found her body in the exact place police had looked. It, so I remember that happening during that period of time. And then also, every day there were shark attacks reports on TV. And then at some point, it was probably somebody like John Stossel, noted that when it came to the shark attacks, actually the number that were happening that summer were in line with the number of attacks that happened every summer. It's just for whatever reason, um, other than Gary Condit, there wasn't a lot going on in the news. And so there was a report of one shark attack. And so then shark attacks became relevant. And you would think, though, it was a huge spike. So I'm wondering, are there, is this a common occurrence? Five and six-year-olds showing up with loaded weapons at school? But here, So listen to this story, though. This one is just as perplexing to me as the, well, as any of these, I suppose. So the teacher, this is in town and country, Missouri outside of St. Louis. The teacher found the gun around 8.45 a.m. at Principia Lower School in town and country, Missouri, about a 20-minute drive west of St. Louis. Staff members took the gun and gave it to police upon arrival, according to Fox 2. Head of schools Mary Sorrells told the station that the entire school community was notified about the incident. Quote, we wanted our parents to know that they were never at risk or a threat to any of our students or community members. 
Okay, no, so this is a five-year-old who, according to the report, showed up with a loaded gun. Okay. Town and Country Police Chief James Camvins said his department believes that the incident was inadvertent and that the student did not intend to harm anyone, nor was there any negligent found on part of the student's parents. Now, I'm not saying that that's not possible. I, maybe he picked up the wrong bat, or who knows what happened. But it just, I don't know, you have a five-year-old with a loaded gun that shows up at school, and they're like, oh, Nobody did anything erroneous here. It just seems such an odd thing. And I'm not one of these that, oh, blame the parents every time a kid does something bad with a gun. I, this is generally not how a story plays out like this, though these stories, once again, seem to be relatively new. Uh, this, this story, it's a Fox News story, notes that schools are on high alert after the six-year-old first grader at the Virginia Elementary School shot a teacher during an altercation last month. Of course, then I mentioned just this last Thursday, or Friday, there was another incident of a gun, though no one was shot, from a six-year-old. Um, this story notes that last week there was a six-year-old boy in North Carolina who was caught with an unloaded 9 millimeter firearm in his backpack after another student alerted a teacher. Uh, the teacher was able to secure the backpack and remove the child from the classroom. Now, I, I, I am curious about a follow-up on the St. Louis story. What are the circumstances that lead law enforcement to believe that the parents were not negligent and the child didn't mean any harm and it was inadvertent on his behalf as well. Again, I can only suspect that he picked up a bag that didn't belong to him or and it really truly was inadvertent and the parents really weren't neglectful but I, these are the sorts of stories I always want follow-ups on because they leave so many questions and oftentimes there are legitimate answers but they're just hard to figure out what they are uh, and too often there aren't the follow-up stories and so it leaves you just speculating and filling in holes everywhere but so that's like four just from these articles You've got the Virginia mother, two, you got the Virginia school shooting, the six-year-old. This one from last Friday, a Virginia mother facing charges. Last week, a six-year-old boy in North Carolina with an unloaded 9 millimeter, And then in town and country, Missouri, uh, Friday, a teacher found a loaded gun in, the, uh, in a bag that was in the possession of a five-year-old in that school, too. Just odd. Jason Rima with the latest news update. A death investigation underway after a man was found at a home in southwest Springfield. Greene County deputies were sent to a check the well-being call last night in the 3200 block of South Palisades near Battlefield and the West Bypass. They found that man dead inside the home. Someone broke into Willard High School early Sunday morning but got away before authorities arrived. Police say they know who the suspect is thanks to the school's security cameras. MoDOT is taking public comments on plans to make upgrades to Chestnut Expressway in Springfield. The main priority is pedestrian safety. That $8 million project will include signal improvements, sidewalks, and resurfacing work. The Department of Labor says one of the country's largest cleaning services for food processing companies employed more than 100 children in dangerous jobs at 13 meatpacking plants across the country. Wisconsin-based Packer Sanitation Services has paid out over $1.5 million in civil penalties. 
At least three of those miners were injured on the job, burned by caustic cleaning chemicals at a plant in Grand Island, Nebraska. Some Missouri voters will decide whether to add a 3% tax to the sale of recreational marijuana. A number of cities have added that sales tax question to the April ballot, including Jefferson City and Columbia. I'm Jason Rima. You're listening to Springfield's Talk 1041. Yeah, that story that Rima had about the child labor situation, uh, there's a massive elephant, if you will, in the room regarding this. And these are assuredly children that are being trafficked from south of the border. This is more of the result of having the open border policy. In fact, I have a story um, that uh, PJ Media covers this, and it is crazy insane. Now, I do believe that we do a disservice to young people by not allowing them into the workforce, certain kids at certain ages. I, I, I think that it is part of a learning experience, uh, particularly when it comes to a young person's character in which there's a lot of benefit to be had there. But some of this stuff, it sounds like <laughs> these kids were do in these factories is just absolutely incredible. Uh, so we'll get to that here in just a moment. The first alert forecast today, mostly sunny, high of 66, 38 for a low tonight, sunny 61 tomorrow, and then Wednesday showers and storms with a high of 66. Sarah Myers. Thank you. Well, if you are in the market for a great roofing company, highly recommend my friends over at the Pyramid Roofing Company. Now we have, uh, what'd you say, rain on Wednesday? Mm, showers and storms. Okay, so uh, if Wednesday you notice some leaks in your roof, maybe you've had some shingles blow off with some winds that have moved in, um, you can give the Pyramid Roofing Company a call. They can come out, give you a free estimate, uh, get on top of your roof, take tons of photos and videos to show you exactly what is going on. And maybe you'll be in a situation where you don't need a whole new roof. Maybe you need just a roof repair. Either way, the Pyramid Roofing Company, they will shoot you straight and they will be upfront and honest about what you need and what you don't need. So if you do find yourself in the market for a roofing company, highly recommend Pyramid. Now you can find all of the Contact information for the Pyramid Roofing Company at ksgf.com under the Sarah's Endorsements tab. Coming up, uh, more of Biden's illegal immigrant miners discovered at child as child laborers in U.S. factories. I, thank goodness we got rid of Trump. Remember when he was keeping those kids in those cages? When the whole time they could have been living the glorious life as child laborers in U.S. factories dealing with heavy machinery and caustic uh, chemicals. <laughs> Good Lord Almighty. You're listening to Nick Reed in the Morning on Springfield's Talk 104.1. Heroes Breakfast coming up Friday. If you are a veteran, as we broadcast live from Scramblers this Friday, uh, you get yourself free breakfast at 6, 8, and 9A. That thanks to Serenity Honors, Delta Roofing, and Air Services, Heating, Cooling, Plumbing, and Electrical. And uh, all you got to do is come out and get yourself some free breakfast for you veterans. Heroes Breakfast this Friday. thought I'd share a piece with you. More of Biden's illegal immigrant miners discovered as child laborers in U.S. factories. And this, once again, falls into the category of the people that the Democrat Party claims they care about the most are the people who suffer the most under them. I mean, just consistently, this is the case. Athena Thorne writes that the Democrat campaign to import a massive, new, uneducated servant class that will vote for them into power in perpetuity is, is proceeding apace. 
In today's chapter, and Rima had uh, a bit of this story in his news, we learn that yet another tranche of illegal alien miners has been pressed into child labor in U.S. factories. NBC News had part of the story on Friday. The Labor Department said Friday it found 102 kids as young as 13 working hazardous overnight jobs cleaning slaughterhouses in eight states in what it called a corporate-wide failure by one of the largest food sanitation companies in the country, Packers Sanitation Services. The Labor Department says the children who are working overnight shifts use caustic chemicals to clean razor-sharp saws. The company employs 17,000 workers at 700 sites nationwide. Athena writes, I say part of this story because there's one important tale left out of the report. Where the heck did these kids come from? But it was easy enough to figure out. American-born children generally have parents present who look after them. Those whose parents die or fall or fail on the job are placed in the state's custody. And while that has its own set of problems, foster parents get paid for keeping the kids under their roof so they don't generally farm them out to factory duty. So where do unethical businesses turn when they want oversight, free indentured children. Why Biden's open border policy, of course. The U.S. Department of Labor has been investigating the Packers Sanitation Services, Inc. since late last fall, at least. After the situation was revealed, the Department of Homeland Security belatedly hopped in to investigate whether the kids had been trafficked. Spoiler alert, of course they had. How else do they get here? But when you are part of the very system that does the trafficking, as DHS is, with its repurposed Customs and Border Protection Agency, you're likely not going to see the forest for the trees. NBC reported a month ago in court filings the company did not deny hiring children, but attributed it to rogue individuals who presented fake identifications with Social Security numbers that were verified by the federal government's e-verify system. Ah, yes, those rogue individuals are the bad guys, not the DHS, who picks up these kids from their coyotes to whom the children are now indebted and processes or simply releases them into the country. I wonder if the miners arrived in the Midwest on one of Biden's ghost flights or if they took a publicity-funded bus. By all means, let's get those rogue individuals. Last December, I wrote about the illegal alien miners who were laboring away in auto parts factories and poultry processing plants in the country's interior. I've also explored how Biden's human trafficking victims end up in positions of sexual slavery. I explained how it works in another article where I wrote, Slavery's sister, indenture, works by signing desperate people onto debt that they can never pay off, thus conscripting them to a life of service and obedience to their benefactor. For example, in the United States, both historically and today, immigrants are imported into the country in exchange for a crushing fee, indebting them to their patron or smuggler, as the case may be. In the past, as today, immigrants paid off their debt either by handing over their meager wages or with outright bodily slavery via drudgery or sexual trafficking. Finally, she writes, it's sickening that Americans are forced to support this appalling system with our tax dollars. The greatest service our newly Republican House of Representatives can perform is to shut down any and all funding for this despicable machine. The areas of our country in which Democrats have their way or Democrats, we, we see the, the results of Democrat policies, 
they really do look like third world countries. Other than third world countries do a better job of protecting their borders. You look at the inner cities. We had earlier this, uh, there was a story in the San Francisco Chronicle about a 13-year-old girl who came to the United States with her mother and aunt from Ukraine, fleeing the war. And after being enrolled in the school there, wants to go back to war, her war-torn country because of how out of control and dangerous the public school system is. Students yelling and cursing at teachers, fighting all the time, administrations refusing to step in and fix the problem. A lot of these illegals that were placed in these high-end hotels in New York and then eventually moved out of them after destroying them want to go to Canada because it's too dangerous in New York City. You have in Democrat-run cities in this country crime that is absolutely rampant. You have people ODing and defecating in the streets. You have miles and miles of people living in tents. Over the weekend in Austin, you had largely younger people that had essentially taken over an intersection Law enforcement could do nothing. There were thousands of them, it appeared. I think I saw one estimate over a 1,000, but it's hard to tell with those numbers sometimes. And they were essentially doing street races, shooting off fireworks, no control whatsoever. And now the very people that demonized the Trump administration for kids in cages, which only got any traction to begin with because it was erroneously not realized that they were Obama cages, that those photos were were going around. But once that cat was out of the bag, they had to try and portray it as some sort of Trump policy. And you had Democrats, boy, they had no trouble rushing to the border over that. Ocasio-Cortez crying through a fence. Meanwhile, you have many of these kids apparently popping up, working overnight in factories with caustic chemicals and sharp... Uh, tools and uh, you know no wringing of the hands but again looking like a third world country every area of our country that has been affected by left-wing policies look like third world countries Springfield's Talk 104.1 I'm Nick Reed Hear about it. Hear about I, I know it. I'm beating a dead horse here. Talk about it. Talk about but the it. hypocrisy and the double standards kind of unreal. On Springfield's Talk 1041. You're listening to Nick Reed in the morning on Springfield's Talk 1041. To further illustrate the point that I was making about. The areas of the country that you really see Democrat policies implemented end up looking like third world countries. San Francisco facilitating slow motion suicides, letting addicts use drugs without treatment recovering user. 
San Francisco activists and former drug users are questioning a proposal that would provide places for addicts to ingest illegal drugs as the city endures an unprecedented overdose crisis. Tom Wolfe, a drug recovery advocate and former fentanyl user, told Fox News, quote, letting someone stay on the street and shoot dope until they die is not compassion. It's not progressive. Well, it is progressive. But you are correct. It is not compassion. He noted, it's not even really respecting their civil liberties. It's letting someone kill themselves in front of you in slow motion. We should not normalize the fact that 600 people a year are dying in San Francisco from drug overdoses. In an effort to curb overdose death, San Francisco Mayor London Breed has supported efforts to open supervised consumption sites, centers where users can use legal drugs indoors under the supervision of trained staff. Additionally, a bill that would allow supervised consumption sites is making its way through the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. Wolf noted, regardless of how you feel about the sites, they're probably coming to San Francisco. Is it going to make a difference in the aggregate without doing all of the other things we need to do, like breaking up the organized drug dealing ring that's operating in San Francisco, reducing the supply of drugs, increasing treatment options for people? No, it will not make a difference. What it will do is it's going to increase the number of drug addicts in San Francisco. There were over 2,900 accidental overdose deaths in San Francisco between January of 2017 and December of 2022, according to city data. More than 1,800 of those overdose deaths involved fentanyl, outnumbering the city's homicides, traffic fatalities, and COVID-19 deaths combined over the same period. In fact, overdose deaths, overdose deaths outpaced murders nearly tenfold, according to city data. So, of course, what is the answer that the Democrats want to introduce? Facilitate it. Encourage it. Make it easier. California Governor Gavin Newsom vetoed a bill last year that would have allowed cities like San Francisco and Oakland to open supervised consumption sites, noting that they would lead to unintended consequences. Each safe injection site in San Francisco could cost taxpayers $2.6 million a year. Costs a lot of money to slow motion murder your citizens. Third world country. You're listening to Nick Reed in the Morning on Springfield's Talk 1041. A reminder Floors Plus in Nick's and Springfield, 0% financing for 12 months for all your flooring and plus needs. Plus, among other things, your kitchen backsplashes, customized towel, tile showers, and more for flooring. Carpeting, luxury vinyl planking, hardwood, tile, 0% financing, 12 months, Floors Plus in Nixa and Floors Plus in Springfield. Mostly sunny, I have 66 today, tonight clouds 38, sunny 61 tomorrow, Wednesday showers and storms with a high of 66. Democrat Marion Williamson teases important announcement in March. Uh, it is speculated it may be an announcement that she's going to run for president of the United States. We're going to find out (laughs) during this process if Democrats feel as if there is anyone, any single Democrat that would do better than Joe Biden, because that's what this is about, right? 
Or are Democrats going to decide, nope, right now the state of affairs for the Democrat Party is that Joe Biden is the absolute best we have? There's no one that's better. Marianne Williamson, author and spiritual thought leader who ran for president as a Democrat in 2020, planning the important announcement early next month in Washington. She said in a statement, as America gears up for the 2024 presidential election, I'm preparing an important announcement on March 4th in Washington, D.C. She added a list of her three central motivations that have propelled her to explore the possibility of running for the Democrat nomination for president in 2024. Those motivations include a commitment to the tenets of liberty espoused in the Declaration of Independence and the Gettysburg Address, Address, a realization of the Democrat Party's shift away from the party of Franklin Roosevelt and the economic injustices endured by millions of Americans due to the influence of corporate money on our political system. She added, I look forward to discussing with the country my thoughts about where we have been as a nation, where we are now, and where we need to go from here. She would be the first official Democrat candidate to enter the race and the first to serve as a potential challenger to Joe Biden, who told PBS on February 8th it is his intention to run. He is reportedly eyeing an April announcement. So this, again, will be the opportunity for Democrats to either say, Yes, we do believe we have better options for the American people than Joe Biden, or Joe Biden is as good as it gets for the Democrats. Over the weekend, the news cycle had uh, a, a bit of coverage regarding Roald Dahl. Now, this is an author that, while many may not recognize his name, they recognize many of his books, such as Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which, of course, would be made into Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, James and the Giant Peach, The Witches. The reason that his name is in the news is because the publisher of his popular children's book have made edits to make the work more inclusive. The publisher, Puffin, P-U-F-F-I-N, made hundreds of changes to the books, taking out words or passages that might be considered offensive in the modern context. They also added passages that were never even in the original text to begin with. For example, in the 2001 edition of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Grandpa Josephine, or Grandma Josephine, speaks of a crazy Indian prince. The 2022 edition describes the character as a ridiculously rich Indian prince. Augustus Gloop, one of the antagonists in the novel, is no longer described as enormously fat. Instead, he's now simply described as enormous. Aunt Sponge in the 2022 edition of James and the Giant Peach is described as quite large instead of enormously fat. Multiple other passages in which Aunt Sponge is described as fat are edited to remove the descriptor. In another instance, two ghastly hags was changed to two ghastly ants. The word queer was removed as the descriptor of a house, and it was swapped with strange. In The Witches, several edits were made to make character descriptors gender neutral. A chambermaid was swapped for a cleaner. A line in which a character says, you must be mad, woman, changed to, you must be out of your mind. The line describing a great flock of ladies was changed to a great group of ladies. And on and on and on and on. Now, the reason that I bring this up 
isn't so much because, you know, here we go again. But we hear a false narrative constantly pushed about how it's right-wing conservatives that are always trying to censor things, right? And you have different forms of censorship. You have the elimination altogether of stories or books, and then you have the rewriting of them. So in other words, an, uh, the elimination of unapproved words, unapproved phrases. If one did not know any better and they simply read news leader articles or watched local news here, they would think that the real issue with censorship are these, these right-wing Christian conservatives. Now, when it comes to things that are in the school library, I have noted the purpose of the library is to have material in there that is going to help when it comes to children being prepared for the real world, particularly when it comes to competing against kids, students from other countries that are so much far further advanced because their cultures really focus on true meaningful education. There is only so much room in a school library, which means books have to be chosen. And that, by default, means that some books are not chosen to be on the shelves. That's just, listen, if you have a bookshelf at home, there's only so much room on it. You have to decide what books go on it and what don't go on it. It's the same thing with the public school systems. And you do have parents that don't want pornography to be part of what is accessible to young people. They aren't arguing that the books themselves should not exist. They're not arguing that you should not be able to order them and hand them to your own children if you are intent on them uh, reading pornography. They're simply saying where everyone has children and all the children will have access, let's not have porn there. But when it comes to what the left wants to censor, either it is oftentimes political ideals or it is one of the more recent examples uh, was a call for, I believe it was Amazon, to not sell Amy Coney Barrett's book, uh, The uh, Supreme Court Justice, because, you know, she's a right winger. These are instances with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and James and the Giant Peach. This is censorship. This is altering the original intent. This is removing words. This is, at times, adding passages. And it's coming from the left. And so, once again, it shows that when it comes to, quote, censorship, what you hear from the right is regarding what is accessible to all children and saying, let's not do porn. But when it comes to those on the left, they are definitely in the censorship game. But if you notice, they hit the private sector as well. And it isn't about sexually explicit material for whatever weird reason. They tend to like the idea of children having access to that material, but it's the, the, the totalitarian languages and ideas that they go after. And this is just another example of it. 
So anytime you hear people at a school board meeting and they are defending giving all children in the school access to pornography and they accuse you of, of censorship and how in America we should not be supportive of censorship, oh, they support it. Plenty. Springfield's Talk 104.1. I'm Nick Reed. You're listening to Nick Reed in the Morning on Springfield's Talk 104.1. Weeks after the train derailment in Ohio, the Republican Governor Mike DeWine has announced that FEMA's finally going to be sending aid to East Palestine. He made this in a joint statement with the federal agency. This, again, is full display, an administration that is way late to the game, and their instinct anytime there is a mess whether that is a border security mess, that is a China spying on the United States mess, that is a train derailment mess, their first instinct is to just pretend it's not happening. The baby formula, that was another one where it was way too late in the game before they began responding to that. You can go down the list of all of these real-life scenarios that have a real true negative impact in which uh, many people would argue, all right, this is the place where government is going to step in or should be stepping in with some sort of solution. Those are the instances, however, where they're absent. They just, if we, if we pretend it's not happening, then it will just go away on, on its own. And it is <laughs> telling the almost the, the quiet acknowledgement of total incompetence and lack of trust that uh, the Amer- that Americans, or in this case people in Ohio, should have in their government. Uh, because even those who who say, "Oh yes, the EPA says this is good," or uh, you know, the government is saying it's safe to drink the water, they're still saying, "Well, I don't know that I would necessarily drink it." The administration is messaging out there that the water is perfectly fine to drink, it is perfectly fine to bathe in, it is perfectly fine to do whatever else with, but nobody is responding as if they believe that. That's what it, It's such a clear acknowledgement of a total lack of trust in our government. Utilities in Cincinnati and northern Kentucky have completely shut the Ohio River water tank or intake valves early Sunday morning over concerns about contamination of hazardous materials from the train that derailed in East Palestine, Ohio. The two utilities, Greater Cincinnati Waterworks and Northern Kentucky Waterworks, said that they are taking precautions as testing found at least low levels of chemicals from the toxic spill in some places at intakes along the waterway amid reports of fish dying in mass in local waterways and East Palestine residents reporting ailments such as headaches and rashes. So what you have here is on one hand the government saying, the water's fine, we've tested it, it's good to drink. But everyone else saying, we don't think that you're telling the truth. Plus, fish are dying, we've done our own testing, and we've found things of concern. We have headaches, we have all sorts of physical reactions going on. Uh, we don't believe you. But it, the, the administration continues 
down this propaganda line of everything's okay. Senator Sherrod Brown, Democrat from Ohio, gave an indirect answer when asked if he would drink the water in East Palestine. Isn't it funny? It's just amazing how Democrats that are always so quick to jump on banning this or stop using those or we must halt this project because somebody heard an owl hoot in the background. They they are just so knee-jerk reaction when it comes to anything involving the environment Yet this particular situation with the massive mushroom cloud in the sky, people getting sick, dead fish everywhere, and they're like, it's okay. I mean, it's oh, it's no big deal. What's everyone worried about? We finally found an environmental situation that Democrats seemingly aren't too concerned about. Appearing on CNN's State of the Union yesterday, Democrat Senator Brown deferred to local officials when asked whether he would drink the water contaminated by chemicals from the Norfolk Southern train derailment on February 3rd. Brown went on to blame the derailment on the rail company, claiming it laid off key workers and conducted stock buybacks instead of investing in safety. So in other words, horrible capitalism. Pamela Brown asked, would you drink the water in East Palestine? And do you think the officials who are saying it's safe, they should drink the water too to show the residents that they would drink it? He responded by saying, well, I think they are. I mean, I talked to the mayor. The mayor said definitely, emphatically, that people can drink the water. I don't know. I don't think the mayor has small kids. He looks a little older to me. I didn't ask him about bathing his kids, but he said he would drink the water. Now, have you ever heard, once again, when it comes to the environment, a Democrat dance around to that degree? Now, you knew this was coming. Trump plans visit to East Palestine, says locals need help. (laughs) Former President Trump will in the coming days visit the town. Trump indicated he would arrive at the small town on the Pennsylvania border on Wednesday, according to a statement released by his 2024 presidential campaign. The statement chided President Joe Biden's administration for appearing to flip-flop on providing disaster assistance from FEMA. Trump said Biden and FEMA said that they would not be sending federal aid to East Palestine. As soon as I announced I'm going, he announced a team will go. Hopefully he will also be there. This is good news because we got them to move. The people of East Palestine need help. I'll see you on Wednesday. FEMA initially announced that the derailment did not qualify for federal disaster aid but noted the Department of Health and Human Services would provide assistance but by Friday and we knew this would happen because this is once again typical of this administration they make an announcement pretending as if the problem's not that big then when there is a public backlash against it they do a 180 degree flip just like shooting down the Chinese balloon Oh, it's fine. Nothing to worry about. The recognition is there that that doesn't look real good for us, so let's shoot it down. 
oh, you don't qualify for any FEMA assistance. Massive backlash over that. Oh, wait, never mind. I guess you do. Now, I wonder how much news coverage Trump's visit will get. Uh, uh, I'm very interested to see how all of that plays out. So that is slated uh, for Wednesday, Trump making a visit there to East Palestine in Ohio. Springfield's Talk 1041. I'm Nick Reed. You're listening to Nick Reed in the Morning on Springfield's Talk 1041. I often uh, direct you guys to my Facebook page, 1041 Nick Reed, to see my uh, Garage Experts transformation video. But I also encourage you to go uh, to ksgf.com under Nick's endorsements. And I, it's more of a, instead of not so much visual as it is just a conversation with Mark and, and Shelly Long of Garage Experts. And they can get a sense and a feel of not only what they do, but the kind of people they are. And, and they're just great folks. And, and, you know, when it comes to making such improvements on your home, having the right people do it for you can make just all the, the difference in the world. So I do recommend that uh, you, you swing over and you do watch that informational video uh, under Nick's endorsements for Garage Experts. We do Friday have a Heroes Breakfast, uh, Air Services, Heating, Cooling, Plumbing, Electrical, Delta Roofing, Serenity Honors, uh, making that possible, purchasing breakfast for veterans. That is this Friday at Scramblers on Republic Road and National, all part of our Friday Roadshow, which is always sponsored by Affordable Towing. Glenn Beck's coming up next. I will talk to you tomorrow. I'm Nick Reed. Ooh,